0: begin by saying I appreciate each of you who have given me various passages that you would like for me to consider as a part of your favorite Bible verses. I will tell you that for the near term, most of these are going to be passages of mine which at one time or another I have found to be very encouraging, to be very helpful, not only as a preacher, but also trying to live the Christian life. I want to begin tonight by pointing out that we're all, at one point in our life, challenged by problems. As Brother Brian prayed in our prayer just a few moments ago about the various kinds of troubles and difficulties that various ones are going through, and we each go through different kinds of challenges, different kinds of problems. And when we're going through them, we have to do a little bit of self inspection. And one of the things that you and I ask is, why am I going through this particular problem? We try to analyze did I do anything? Did I say anything that brought this trouble, brought this problem on me? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. We also look at that and ask the question how am I supposed to respond? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to react to this? A third aspect of it that I think all of us struggle with is does God care that I am struggling? Does He see the problem that I am facing? Is He with me during this? You know, I'm trying to be faithful to God, I'm trying to love Him, to be one of His children. And does God see the trouble that I am enduring, and is he with me through the trouble? To me, the account of Joseph provides some great encouragement. Whenever I read Genesis 50 and verse 20, I see some encouraging words. So let's look at it again, very simply, very basic. But as for you, and Brother Harold mentioned, that's the brothers, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Within that verse are a number of great thoughts, and to understand this as we should, I want to look with you at four things. I want to look at Joseph, but I want to look at partiality, which brought about the events of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20 that he mentioned. To some degree, whether we realize it or not, the prettiness of Joseph. Now, you all may say, why are you using the word pretty? I give Brother Brian credit for using that word. A few months ago, he was talking about Steve and I speaking, and he said we use pretty words, and I thought, well... I can use that tonight as well. Three is presence. The presence of God. Is he with us? And then number four, patience. Something that Joseph learned. Let's begin first of all with the idea of partiality. And to see the big picture, if you want to, you can keep your Bible open to the book of Genesis. We'll really be starting in chapter 37 and we'll be going through chapter 50 looking at Joseph. And how all of this led up to what Joseph said. There's no doubt that Joseph was Jacob's favored, most favorite son. He was partial toward him. Genesis 37 verses 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was a son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic, a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now as you think about that, all of us know about sibling rivalry. Uh, Those of you who have brothers and sisters... Some of you have multiple brothers and sisters. You know about the kind of struggle that exists in every family. But whenever you take one child and you treat them better than you do the other children, you are going to exacerbate that sibling rivalry to a new level. Jacob should have known that. Because if you go back to Genesis 27, you will remember that his father Isaac and his mother Rebekah, each of them had their own favorite. For Isaac, his favorite was Esau. He liked a manly man. One who liked to go out and be a hunter. On the other hand, Rebekah loved Jacob. And that rivalry... Brought about some tremendous conflict within that home. In fact, the conflict arose to such a level that Jacob had to leave home and go to Rebekah's family in Paden Aram. You see, rivalry produces problems, but God forbids such. When you read, for instance, the Old Testament indication in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, God anticipated that there would be situations where you would have those you loved and those you didn't love. And he said to Moses, If a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved, and if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on the day that he bequeaths his possessions to his sons that he must not bestow Firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference of the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife by giving the, as the firstborn by giving him double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. You see, God said you can't show partiality. The firstborn will get his right due even if he is not of the loved wife. If you go a little bit further to Exodus 23, verse 3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. God wanted justice. God wanted fairness. And you see partiality that led to to the events of having Joseph taken and sold as a slave. In James chapter 2, verse 1, verse 4, verse 9, you read, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Verse 4, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. You see, the Bible's pretty clear about this. Though the partiality was not Joseph's fault, it nevertheless caused him grief. Because of the partiality shown to him, his brothers wanted to kill him. The truth is, jealousy acts. When I am jealous of you, I may not take your life, but I will do something to you. It may be speaking bad about you. It may be attributing bad motives to you. Genesis 37 verse 20. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into a pit, and we shall say... Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. You see, the brothers said, we're going to kill him. And after we kill him, we're going to lie. And we're going to say, some wild beast has devoured him. But you see, it's not just Joseph. Daniel experienced the same thing. In Daniel chapter 6, after the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar had fallen... And the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians had replaced them. Daniel was still a very influential person. Daniel describes in chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. But you know, verses 4 and following demonstrates what happened. The satraps... The other governors, they said, we can't handle this. We don't want Daniel to have that position of responsibility and power, so they sought a means to accuse him. You may have people who envy you simply because others appreciate your talent and your work. You may be a child who's at school and you may be working really hard to make that A. You know what's going to happen? You work real hard to make that A and the teacher pats you on the head and you know what's going to be said? You're the teacher's pet. Because you worked hard. Other times you are going to be the person who is favored and people are going to say something badly about you because of that. Joseph knew what it was to suffer because of partiality. Number two, prettiness. Joseph was a handsome man. He had good looks. I want you to notice in chapter 39, verse 6. Thus he left all he had in Joseph's hand. He did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was a man who physically would have been attractive. He had a physical form about him that was fine nature. That's the reason why Mrs. Potiphar found him so attractive. But you see in the Bible, pretty people face some unique challenges. You can look at people like Joseph who became the object of lust. You can look at Sarah, Abraham's wife. Joseph was 17 years old, you might understand that. Sarah's an older woman. Genesis chapter 12, and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me. Abraham was concerned because he knew how good-looking Sarah was. It wasn't just that. David's son, Absalom, had another son named Amnon. Amnon looked at his sister and he fell in love with her beauty. Fell in lust is perhaps the word to put it. In 2 Samuel 13 verse 1. After this Absalom the son of David had a lovely sister. The word lovely is the same word for beautiful with reference to Sarah. And by the way also the same word for handsome with applied to Joseph. Whose name was Tamar and Amnon the son of David loved her. He raped her and then treated her shamefully. Her beautiful appearance was tough for her. You go on and look at that same family, Absalom himself, Tamar's brother, was a handsome man. When you go to 2 Samuel 14, now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom For his good looks, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. And when he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. Now go on to read verse 27. To Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. Evidently, he named his daughter after his sister because she also was very beautiful. Now, physical good looks is something that some of you were born with. It wasn't as if you did anything to attain it. It's just something that came to you by lot, so to speak. You were blessed with good looks but you need to be careful that you do not promote your good looks to the point of lust. I don't think that Joseph did that but it certainly was a potential pitfall for him as well as Sarah as well as Tamar as well as Absalom. Good looks has the potential to be a a temptation and a pitfall. But let me remind you that one should realize there's a much greater beauty than that of the outward beauty. When Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3 about women, here's what he said, Do not let your adornment merely be outward, arranging of hair, wearing of gold, putting on a fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, With the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. I want to key on one word in verse 4. With the incorruptible beauty. Some of us were laughing prior to services tonight about people going back to their class reunions and people who were at graduation, 18 years old, very handsome, very beautiful. Now we're fat and bald-headed. And you ought to see the men. <laughs> the truth is, for all of us, as Solomon observed in Proverbs 31, charm is deceitful, beauty is passing. Passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Folks, there's something that does not tarnish with age. That's inner spiritual beauty. Number three is presence. As you look at Joseph and he's going through all the troubles that he endures, where is God when trouble is present? That's got to be the question that Joseph had to have asked when he's in that pit. When he's in that prison, where is God? The truth is, throughout all the troubles of Joseph, God was there. In fact, the Bible tells us that. Listen to Genesis verse 39, verses 2 and 3. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. Yes, he was with him. But you keep going to chapter 39, verses 21 through 23. But the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. Was God with Joseph when he was in prison? Absolutely, the text says he was. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him in whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. God was with Joseph even in the times of trouble. But in the times of trouble, there were bright spots. You know, his brothers wanted to kill him, but the bright spot was there were some Ishmaelite traitors passing by. You think they just happened to be there, or do you think God put those traitors there? Or you think about when he was in Potiphar's house and was accused. He wasn't killed, he was put in prison. When he was in prison, the jailer was with him, and God is with him all the time. But here's the key. Joseph could see the big picture of why after it was all over. Not while he was going through it. When you get to chapter 45, and I wish I had time to give you the whole story of the events, but the brothers of Joseph have come to Egypt. This is their second trip. Benjamin has been brought back with them this time. Joseph is making himself known to them. And you know they've got to be scared to death. And here's what Moses records. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there's still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it is not you who sent me here, but God. You know, when it happened, he had to think, Why did my brothers do this to me? But now he looks back and he says, God's hand was in all of this. God had a greater purpose in mind, and now I see it. Now I understand. I can tell you as a young preacher, right out of college, I came out and I thought, now I'm educated. Now I can go out and conquer the world. Now i got to find some place that will let me preach. And you talk to this one and you talk to that one and you think, doors are closing? Why don't they understand? I'm here to preach. I want to preach. Let me preach. Sometimes closed doors are the greatest blessing That we ever get. And for Joseph, he understands that now. God had a plan that used their evil intent to bring about good. That's what chapter 50, verse 20 says. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Many times when we're going through trials, it's hard to see God's presence in our lives. But what we ought to be looking for is the good that God has put there. That there is something good within that and we've got to look for it. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he is describing what people are going through in this present life. And he says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You look at what we're going through. You look at what's coming. But then he says something in verse 28 that parallels what happened with Joseph. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God's plan works out, folks. We've got to have faith that it will. We need to realize that even when People with wicked intents try to make our lives miserable. There can be some good come out of it. Number four, which is really the where I started to begin with in my plans for this lesson, was learning patience. I think there's a valuable thing to look at the timeline of Joseph's life. You know about him growing up and his father making him this coat of many colors. But when we start noticing the dates in his life, at age 17 he's sold into slavery. Some of the young men sitting back here are 17 years of age, thereabouts. Some a little bit older. Can you imagine being yanked up from your family right now With nothing but the clothes on your back and being taken to a land far away and being made a slave? What are you going to do when you get there? How are you going to respond? How are you going to act? Are you going to be bitter and say, everybody mistreated me? Or are you going to make the best of it? Genesis 37.2 This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. That's when it happened. You have to do a little calculation, but it's at 28 years of age, 11 years later, when he interpreted the butler and the baker's dreams while he was in prison. That means that the 11-year time span, from the time he was sold into slavery to the time he interprets their dreams, That's the time that he served Potiphar. There were some good years in there. Things went pretty well for him. He had achieved a level of responsibility and priority in Potiphar's house. Chapter 41, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. That's why I know he was 28. Because the next thing is that when he stands before Pharaoh, he's 30 years of age. Chapter 41, verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It took 13 years to go from this colorful coat to the king's court. Not all that time was bad, but Joseph had to learn patience during that period of time. And many times, you and I feel like God's plan ought to work faster. When you start out in life, some of you getting a job, you know what you want to be? You want to be the senior manager the day you start. Not going to happen. You're not going to start out as vice president. You're going to be the guy that they hand this stick to and on the end of it it has bristles or it has a mop. You're going to be the guy that's going to be given the low man on the totem pole job. And you're going to have to learn. It takes time. It takes effort to be able to reach a position of earning responsibility. Joseph needed the training of those years. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God doesn't count time like we do. And everything He does, He does just right. Galatians 4.4 said, "...in the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law." just at the right times when it always happens. We need patience or the word endurance. For instance, in Hebrews 10 and verse 36, after he's describing the kind of difficulties people will face, he says, for you need, have need of endurance that so after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. When God makes a promise, those promises don't immediately appear. Study about Abraham and Sarah. Romans 8.25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, with patience. You have to be willing to allow the time for things to come when God has His plan. And you know, I think most of us ask the question sometimes, How long? How long? Not only does man ask that question, how long? God does too. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, there's a picture there of souls under an altar. You know, The altar is where the sacrifice is being offered, the incense is being burned, and there's souls under it. And they're martyrs. They're people who've been killed. And there's a question which they ask. And they cry with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Lord, when are you going to set it right? God's answer to them was, is not yet. You go to... Hosea chapter eight and verse five, the latter part of that verse, your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? God is looking and saying, Okay, you're wanting to ask how long? My question is, how long until you correct your life? Joseph persevered through many challenges, all the time being used as a tool of God. He served God's purposes. God took care of Joseph's needs and brought about his will. And because of Joseph, people's lives were saved. Particularly the lives of the family that was going to bring the Savior into the world. There's an old phrase, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's exactly what Joseph did. Whenever he was given a bad situation, he always found the good in it. He developed it and used it. I go back to Genesis 50, verse 20. As Joseph looks to his brothers, he said, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. This week, it's very likely that somewhere along that week, You're going to be faced with a tough situation, troublesome times. And you've got to say, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to look at this as an opportunity to stand up and do what is good and do what is right? Or am I going to allow it to make me a bitter person? I only encourage you to stand up and see the good in it. If you'll open your song book now, we're going to sing this song of encouragement. If you're not a Christian, we want to urge you to be obedient to the gospel plan of salvation, faith, repentance, confession, and being baptized. If you're a child of God and you need to be restored to faithfulness, we encourage you and invite you to respond as well as we stand as we sing.